Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we just thank you for this, uh, this wonderful morning. We thank you for this Sunday. We can come together and worship you, come together in fellowship. And Lord, we come to hear your word and we ask, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would lead this time. That, Lord, it would be your voice we hear speaking into our lives and to our hearts, Lord. So, Father, we give you this time. And, Lord, we just humble ourselves before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, occasionally I like to share some profound quotes, right? Um, Some profound quotes from some great thinkers in our past. Sorry, the screen's a little dark. Um, hopefully it'll, it'll come out. Uh, but here's one from a very well-known motivator from the 90s. I don't know, some of you haven't been, wasn't born then. Makes me feel a little old, but whoops. Oh, what happened? All right, here's a quote. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone if people like me. All right, you all have no idea who that is, do you? How many have heard that? How many of you know who Stuart Smalley? All right, so some of you know Stuart Smalley from Daily Affirmations. And some of you have a very confused look on your face. So let me explain. Back in the day, back in the 90s, Saturday Night Live, they had these sketch comedies. And there was a sketch com- uh, comedy or a, a, a sketch. It was called Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. Now, Stuart Smalley was a middle-aged man, and the whole setting was he was there with this full-length mirror, and he would start off his sketch by saying, looking into the mirror and say, I am good enough, I am smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. The whole point of the sketch comedy at the time What was funny about it was this idea that there would be this man who felt the need to look into a mirror and say daily affirmations to himself. And that's what was, it was kind of poking fun at this picture, this idea of people having to look in the mirror and say these daily affirmations. And, you know, it was, it was funny at the time, but if they showed it today, it would probably be a little politically incorrect how they did it. So I'm not going to copy how they did it. But people laughed at the time at this idea and notion of people needing to give themselves daily affirmations in the mirror. And they, he would have guests, and the, the guests would be these very famous, well-known celebrities or athletes, whoever was hosting Saturday Night Live at the time. And so the joke was that these famous people would have to look in the mirror, confront their insecurities, and say, I am good enough, I am smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. That was the, the sketch at the time. And if you think about it, that sketch was way ahead of its time. Because in the 90s, mental health was not the catchphrase. It was not a thing as it is today. It wasn't as, uh, very, as, as widely received or known at the time. But what was once funny, 
right? The sketch comedy, this idea of daily affirmations. What was what's funny before is actually a reality today, right? And I don't know if you can you notice, but our, our time all surrounding us, there's always daily affirmations taking place. If you're on social media at all, social media is flooded with daily affirmations. People having to show or say these affirmations of, I am good enough, I am smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, and people like you too, right? I don't know if you've seen that, you caught that a lot, but this has become a, a widely just known thing in our culture, this idea of daily affirmations. And it's funny, what was once kind of presented as comedy is actually now really a harsh reality, right? What we made fun of at the time, today that's a harsh reality. And there's a re- the reason why we see so much daily affirmations, whether it's social media or whatnot, is because mental health has become a bit of a crisis, right? It's a bit of a crisis today. It's interesting that we, we live, the culture we live in now, I don't know if we've ever lived in a more self-focused self-centered culture as we do now, right? But yet at the same time, mental health is as, is as big of an issue as we've ever known it before as well. And so this has been a crisis, almost like mental health and self-care is just as commonly referred to as, I don't know, getting an oil change or your regular checkup, right? Mental health, self-care is at the forefront of so many people's minds, To give you uh, a picture of how concerning mental health is, I I was doing some research and I I saw some statistics based on 2020 and 2021 talking about mental health. And it shows, oops, sorry about that, that 22.8% of U.S. adults experienced mental illness in 2021. So two years ago, in 2021, 22.8% of U.S. adults experienced mental health. You may look at 22.8% and you say, well, that's not that big of a percentage, is it? But that represents about 57.8 million people. That's a lot of people. 5.5% experienced serious mental illness. And you may look 5.5%, well, that's not a lot, is it? Well, when you consider it's 1 in 20, that's certainly concerning, right? The annual prevalence of mental illness among U.S. adults, right? Breakdown of, of, of backgrounds, right? 16.4% for non-Hispanic Asians, 20.7% for Hispanic or Latino, 23.9% non-Hispanic white, and non-Hispanic black or African American, 21.4%. So talking about the prevalence of mental illness among U.S. adults, breakdown of demographics, Okay? It looks hovering very close across demographics. 79% of people who die by suicide are male in 2020. In 2021, 48,183 people from all ages died from suicide. It was the 11th cause of death overall in the U.S., Of course, this is not just an American problem. Two particular countries that might be of interest for many of us in this room. China, suicide is the fifth leading cause of death in China. 
It accounts for over a quarter of the suicides worldwide. In Korea, it's the fourth highest, fourth, Korea is the fourth highest, has the fourth highest rate of suicide globally. So globally in, in countries, Korea ranks as having the fourth highest rate of suicide. I can go very long in talking about stats on suicide and depression, but I want to focus on the young generation for a moment, the teenagers. The following is from a national uh, study from the National Institute of Mental Health and also of the CDC. Okay? In 2020, according to data from a nationally representative sample of emergency departments, so ERs, okay, approximately 105,000 youths from ages 14 to 18 years of, old, years of age visited ERs or emergency departments for self-harm injuries in 2020. 105,000 youths aged between 14 and 18. In 2020, suicide is the second leading cause of death among 10 and 14-year-olds. Now, you got to keep in mind, 2020, we were in the height of pandemic, right? A lot of isolation. But in 2021, they saw that it was the third leading cause of death among high school-aged youth between 14 and 18 years of age. They estimate 1,952 in the year of 2021. In 2021, the, the rate was 9 per 100,000 in the population of 14 to 18-year-olds. Getting more specific, they looked at categories of those youths, right, high schoolers mainly, or between ages of 14 and 18, who seriously considered suicide. In two, between 2019 and 2021, Female students had an increased prevalence from 24% to 30%. So comparing from 2019 to 2021, female students had an increased prevalence from 24% to 30%. Male students stayed about basically the same from 13% to 14.3%. Now, they also looked at students who reported sexual contact, some kind of sexual activity. And you think, well, Pastor Mike, why are you bringing up this specifically? I find this interesting, especially today in our over-sexualized culture, right? There's this emphasis on sexuality, sexual activity, and it's very much also geared towards the younger group. It's presented as a very socially acceptable activity. It's presented as a means to shape your identity. It's become normal place for young people. So I found it interesting that they looked at those who reported sexual contact or activity and specifically sexual identity. And they looked at the prevalence difference as well. So the difference between 2019 and 2021. And they saw that those who reported to having had opposite sex only sexual contacts, so they had sexual activity or contact with people overall, 
there was a prevalence difference of 4%, so a 4% increase from those, for those who seriously considered suicide. Same-sex or both-sex contacts. So these are students who reported have had, had sexual contact with people who are of the same sex, okay, or both. They had a difference of 18.2% difference. So compared to those who had sexual contact with the opposite sex, those who had same sex or of both, 4%, 18.2%. The prevalence was significantly higher among LGBTQ male students as well, compared with heterosexual students. Then they looked at, made a suicide plan. So they looked at what those who seriously considered it, then they also looked at those who considered or they made a suicide plan. Those who know, that's a significant difference. Did they come up with a plan? In 2021, 23.6% of female students reported making a plan. That's an increase from 19.9% to 23.6%. Male students remained stable from 11.3 to 11.6. There was an increase among female students, particularly in the ninth grade and the 10th grade. For ninth grade female students, it increased. There was a difference of 4.7% students who reported have had a made a plan for suicide. 10th grade, there was a 6 6 increase. Students who reported sexual contact, who made a suicide plan, female students who had sex with opposite sex partners, the increase went up 7.2%. Males who had sexual contact with same sex or both sex partners, the difference went up 15.5%. Female students who had sexual contact had higher prevalence rate than reported those who reported no sexual contact. You follow me so far? I know there's a lot of numbers, right? Those who made a suicide plan, the higher rates, female students who reported had sex with opposite sex partners, but it jumped almost twice as much Males who had sexual contact with same-sex or both-sex partners. Those who attempted suicide. The prevalence of reported attempted suicide was 13.3% among females ages 14 to 18 in 2021. That was an increase, right? 6.6% among males. And once again, we see that students reported as having LGBTQ were more likely to have reported attempted suicide than those heterosexual and those who reported no sexual contact. Why do I bring those specific data up? Again, we live in a very sexualized society and culture, and they present it as a means of pleasure, a means of identity, a means of uh, you can seek out what you pleasure and do. 
But we're seeing the factors here played out. Here's some other uh, general statistics. In 2021, nearly three out of five, or 57%, U.S. teen girls reported feeling sad or hopeless. Three out of five, 57%. Nearly twice the rate as teen boys. At least one in 10 or 14% of high school girls said they have at some point been forced to have sex. It was a 27% rise from two years earlier. High school girls, 18% reported being victims of sexual violence. My guess is those statistics are low because there's a tendency to under-report things like that. Sexual violence and assault. They looked at pediatric hospitalizations from 2009 to 2019 for a 10-year difference. Annual hospitalizations for mental health diagnoses increased from, this is pediatric, okay, from 160,499 in 2009 to 201,932. Hospitalizations with a diagnosis of attempted suicide or self-injury increased from 49,285 to 129,699. I think why there's a lot of statistics. Why do I bring all these statistics of mental health is a crisis and a concern for many, many people and particularly our young generation. Pain, sadness, anxiety, anger, they're all symptoms, right? They're all indicators to us that something is wrong. When we feel pain and sorrow and anxiety and anger and confusion, all those things, they're indicators. Something is not right in us. When we feel physical symptoms, we go seek a doctor. But when we feel all these things inside, the question is, where do we go, right? Life experiences can leave us feeling unhappy, depressed, anxious, dissatisfied. And the critical question is, is who do we go to? Who do we turn to for diagnosis and treatment? Because how we identify what is wrong and how the course and how to get healing, it's critical. Who we turn to, who do we go to when we're feeling these things, when we're going through these things? Now, I try to, not to over-spiritualize everything, right? I don't personally believe that there's always an evil spirit whenever something bad happens or there's a sin that we commit, that there's just an evil spirit all the time. I personally don't believe that because I don't think that we need evil spirits to commit sin or have negative things wrong or choose wrong decisions. Right? So I don't try to typically over-spiritualize everything, but I will say when you look at society and all society's struggles, and suffering, and evil, and all those things, I truly believe this is all a part of Satan's strategy. His strategy to call all, cause all this anxiety, and worry, and depression, and anger, and sadness. And that's why we're taking the time that we, I've been with this passage of understanding what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God. 
That's why we've been covering this part of the passage we'll look at again so long. Because it's so critical to what we're seeing in society today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 1 again. And we'll start off again at verse 26. In verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Skip to verse 31. And God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now we looked at how the theme of image and likeness carries from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end of Scripture. Man and woman were created in the image and likeness of God. Man and woman was designated to be the visible representation of God in His creation. They were to bear the likeness of the Creator. But as we'll see in a, in a few, few weeks or a couple weeks or whenever it is we get to chapters 2 and 3, sin enters the world. And what does sin drive man to do? Create their own images. Their idolatry. They create these idols in the images of creation, of themselves. So man takes images and likenesses for themselves as gods. What does God do? Jesus himself comes as what? The image of what? The invisible God. In his likeness, not in the image of man in the sense of, or not in the likeness of man in the sense of Jesus pattern after man. Jesus was divine. But he comes as the image of the invisible God to do what? To give us Forgiveness, to die on the cross for our sin so that we can be in Christ so that we can do what? That we can be the image of Christ to bear his likeness so that those who are in Christ in this world, we are visible representations of Christ. We are not Christ ourselves, but we are in the image and the likeness of God. And one day when we're before the Lord, we will be like Him. We saw that a couple weeks ago, right? So it's amazing this theme from the very beginning. God's intention was for man and woman to be created in His image and in His likeness. Man messes it up, but Jesus comes to redeem and restore so that we will, in His original intention, intention to be in the image and likeness of him. So we see this theme throughout. And we saw the last week, last couple weeks, that we focused on that God is creator, he is designer, but he's also the standard maker. He is the one who defines, he's one to determine what is good. 
He's the authority of what is good. When he created these things, what did we see throughout creation? Behold, it was good. To the point that afterwards in six day of creation, it was all very good. So we see that God is creator. He's designer. He's the standard maker of what is good. He's the ultimate authority of what is good. God defines what is good. But Satan, the enemy, defies God's standard for what is good. God defines what is good. The enemy wants to defy God's standard for what is good. And the very first area that we talked about where the enemy wants to zero in on, if he's going to challenge our understanding of what it means to be created in the image of God, the first area he appoints, he really attacks is our selfish pride. Our selfish pride. Because our selfish pride, if he can get us to what? Question God as creator. Or get us to question, okay, we may think, oh, there may be a God, but question God as a good creator. Then he can also get us to prop us up to be in the place of God. Right? If we question God, if we question his goodness, then what do we end up wanting to do? Elevate ourselves to be in the position of God so that we're the ones to determine what is good, right? We are the ones to tell God what should happen, when it should happen, how it should happen. I determine what is good for me. I determine what, is, what feels good to me. So we see that the enemy really seeks out to undermine the goodness of God and the intention for humanity from the very beginning. We're going to see that in Genesis 2 and 3. It's interesting timing that we're in the designated pride month and we're talking about selfish pride. Now, I didn't plan that, right? I mentioned to you when we're covering Mark, I plan to end Mark at, at Easter, right? Because, you know, the resurrection, it ends with that. That would be great timing. I didn't plan this timing of it, but I found it interesting. It didn't really dawn on me until this week that here we're talking about selfish pride and we're in Pride Month. How appropriate that we're in Pride Month. Because we're going to see how they address how the enemy deliberately manipulates and weaponizes our selfish pride. Because when we make it a habit to question God and question his goodness, we challenge his trustworthiness, don't we? When we question God's goodness, what we're doing is we're challenging his trustworthiness. God, I don't think this is good for me. I don't know if I can trust you with these things. So we begin replacing God with ourselves. And I mentioned last week about hedonism. Hedonism is the, the, the seeking out pleasure, right? That's the goal of hedonism. Pleasure seeking. That is the goal. And I really believe hedonism has replaced Christianity as a religion of our country. You may disagree with that. But it seems to be that way. Because seeking pleasure has replaced seeking righteousness. You do whatever pleasures you. 
that is like the highest value in today's culture. It's no longer about seeking righteousness, let alone God's righteousness. Self becomes God, and the mirror becomes like the altar. The mirror is where we go to, to, for that affirmation of praise. We're looking at the mirror of ourselves, and we want to give affirmation. We want to give praise to make ourselves feel better. All right, so the mirror is, is very interesting. In, in the morning, right, maybe one of the first things you do, one of the first people you see in the day is who? Yourself, right? Maybe you get ready, you look in the mirror, you're the first person you see. When you, before you left home, I won't raise your hand, ask you to raise your hands, how many of you looked in the mirror just before you left your house? Right, a lot of times you do that. I did that, you did? Okay, we got, we got some men here who said, yeah, that was me, right? I did that. Actually, one of the last things I did is ask James, wait, does this look okay, right? We look in the mirror so that we can, when we leave the house, we want to make sure we look okay. And you may be the last person you see before you go to bed, right? Before you go to bed, what do you do? You go in the bathroom, you look in the mirror, and you check to make sure you got everything before you go to bed, right? If the enemy can successfully manipulate our selfish pride to get us to elevate ourselves in the position of God, the second area of attack is our self-image. Our self-image. We'll begin to question how God made us. And He wants us to keep our focus on ourselves. How many of you experienced this? You go clothes shopping and you try something on. You go in the dressing room. You think it looks great. You get excited. You buy it. And then you go back home and you try it on. And you're like, this doesn't look as good as it did when I bought it. All right, maybe some of you experienced that. Men, guys, we tend to totally bypass that experience because we don't like to try on anything anyways, right? We just tend to like, you know, when I go clothes shopping and Jamie's with me, she wants me to say, well, you know, Mike, why don't you try it on? I'm like, I don't want to try it on. I'll just look at the tag. I'll try it on at home. So no, try it on, try it on. Because like, guys, guys, I'm going to be very general. I mean, if you're a guy and this is not you, don't get me, you know. All right, we, don't, we tend to want to bypass the try on. We'll do it at home. But for those of you who have experienced that, you're not out of your mind. I don't know if you know this. But dressing rooms can just change or alter the mirrors a bit to help you look better. Maybe you knew that. Maybe you didn't. They angle the mirror to make you look a little taller. All right, some of you are just finding that out. They change the lighting. They affect the lighting to affect the shadows. So you look a little better. But when you go home, you don't have the same beautiful lighting. The lighting doesn't walk with you wherever you go, right? But dressing rooms and retail shops do that so that you will look better in their mirror so you purchase their products. We rely on mirrors to tell us what we look like. Or outward appearance. But if you look closely, the mirror can also tell you our inward condition. If you pay close enough attention, right? You can look in the mirror. Maybe you see the weariness. You look at your eyes. 
and so forth. Some of us have a very healthy self-image. I'll let you decide whether this picture describes someone with a a healthy self-image or not. If you can't see it, it's a man kissing himself in the mirror. I will not ask you how many of you did that this morning. I will take those of you who laugh or the ones who did. Just kidding. Everything, if you have a a healthy self-image, maybe everything may not be as you want it, but you're content. You know? You don't hate yourself. You do your best with what you are given. Right? You may not be 6'5", but at least you don't have to bend your head everywhere you go. Right? You may not be 6'5", you may not be as tall as you want, but at least you can find shoes better than someone who's much taller, right? You're content with how you are. You see room for improvement, but your value is not placed or does not rest on what other people think of you. That's healthy. You weren't considered in the senior superlatives in the yearbooks, right? You weren't mentioned in those superlatives, but at least when people look back in the yearbook, they didn't get you your they didn't get you wrong, right? They didn't just say, oh man, yeah, that definitely didn't turn out the way we thought, right? You're okay with that. You're not, you don't determine your value based on what other people think of you. You strive to do your best, right? But you don't let your achievements define you. That's healthy. You may not have reached your ultimate goals, but you're, you're, you're happy and you feel satisfied with the goals you did reach along the way. That's a good, healthy Self-image, right? That's good. You take proper care of yourself. You don't run away every time you look in the mirror. You don't try to avoid mirrors. You don't feel attacked every time you look at a mirror. Some of us may not have such a good self-image. Some of us may have an unhealthy self-image. Perhaps looking at a mirror is painful. They're reminders of what we're not. They remind us of what we deem as imperfections. When you look in the mirror, maybe you do feel attacked every time you come across a mirror. And the assailant is yourself. You look in the mirror, you feel attacked, but the person attacking you is yourself. Some of us see ourselves in funhouse mirrors. You know what a funhouse mirror is? Some of us look at ourselves through funhouse mirrors. We have a distorted view of ourselves, except we walk away believing what we see. How many of you ever been in a funhouse mirror or a funhouse? You know what that is? A funhouse mirror is a mirror that has a, is distorted so that when you look at yourself, you look funny, you look different, right? It's not your image. Think like an app, those apps that have filters so that when they take an image of you, they, they change the way you look, right? Some people are looking at themselves through a funhouse mirror, a distorted view of themselves. People who struggle with unhealthy self-image, they settle for broken mirrors. Their broken mirror reflects broken pieces of a whole. 
And that's what they see of themselves, and that's what they believe. And if we look at ourselves with broken mirrors, but we don't know that mirror is broken, what ends up happening? We will look at ourselves, we'll walk away from that mirror, and believing that's what we look like. That's who we are. So we walk away with false perceptions, and we're convinced that we're a broken person. That's how we'll think of ourselves. That's how we see ourselves. Some of us, some of our mirrors, how we see ourselves, we broke and we distorted ourselves. We compare ourselves to other people, right? We deem as perfect. We see this person who's perfect. And we take that image and we look at it ourselves and all we see is distortion. All we see is imperfection. And we look in the mirror and that's all we perceive. Some of us, we choose distorted mirrors that will always present looking a certain way no matter how much you change. Right? Funhouse mirrors, when you look at it, it's distorted. No matter what you wear, you look at that image, you're going to look distorted, right? For some people, they, they're, the way they see themselves is a funhouse mirror. No matter what they do, no matter what they change, they'll look at themselves and they'll always see a distorted person. So some of our broken mirrors that we use to see ourselves, we did it ourselves. We compare ourselves to other people. We've made it to where this is how we ought to see ourselves. Some people, the mirrors have been broken by other people. Perhaps you were neglected. You were mistreated. You were bullied. Maybe you were ignored. You weren't treated how other people are treated. You see how other people are treated well, and you're looking at yourself, and I'm not treated that way. And you're wondering, why not? There must be, must be something wrong with me. Or perhaps other people compared you to a more perfect image. They presented people that's, oh, that are better than you, more talented than you, and it left you feeling like a failure or you're less than the other person. Most likely, the mirror that you've been looking at has been broken since childhood. The way you've been seeing yourself was broken since time of childhood. And in general, most people do not understand the damaging effects of childhood trauma. Most people don't understand the effects of childhood trauma. You know, when we're growing up, we, we tend to have this mentality or told this mentality, whatever happened to you, you know what? You'll get over it. Grow up. That's life. It happens. And we underestimate the impact, the damaging imprint, the things we experience as childhood and throughout our childhood. And it affects us. So then we learn to discount and pass, out, pass off childhood experiences as something to get over. But what ends up happening, we have this broken mirror and this is how we see ourselves. We're going to get to more of that next week. Life experiences that we've had that breaks our mirrors. But my primary goal today is not to convince you to feel good enough smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. 
That's not my primary goal today. You may think, oh, Pastor Mike, that doesn't sound real positive. <laughs> can, can you just tell me? That's not my primary goal. Why is that not my primary goal? This is why I say that. Because I'm not naive to the incredibly difficult task of convincing you that the person you see in the mirror is worth loving. Let me say that again. I'm not naive to the incredibly difficult task of convincing you that the person you see in the mirror is worth loving. Because for some people, no matter amount of praise you receive, no matter encourage, amount of encouragement you receive, you will always go back to that broken mirror. And that's what you'll see. It's hard. It's so hard to convince somebody, let alone be convinced yourself, that the person you see is not broken. While others may look at the person, while other people may look at the person and see reasons why they are lovable, they have qualities and attributes that is worthy of love, they will always go back to that distorted, broken mirror and convince themselves that is the real them. Not what other people have said. The other reason why that was not my, that's not my primary goal today is because boosting our self-image can be a dangerous trap. We want to boost our self-image, make us feel better, so we invest so much in ourselves that we chase perfection. We chase approval. We chase satisfaction. Think about it. If that doesn't satisfy the most talented, the most beautiful, the most wealthy, the most popular people in the world, do you think that will be satisfaction for you? I think we'd be surprised if the celebrities and the powerful people in the world were honest about how they see themselves. The mirrors that they look at and the traumas that they face. And they've achieved certain things. They look a certain way. But you know what? They realize it's not enough. Or they'll always see distortions. They'll always see broken people. So what's my primary goal today? It's to first get us to see that the mirrors we may be using to see ourselves are broken and they're distorted, and they're tools of the enemy to sabotage our understanding of what it means to be created in his image and likeness. Which mirror gives us the most truthful image of who we are? Right? Isn't that what we want? We want to know the, the, the most truthful image of who we are, what we truly look like, what God truly intended us to be. Well, that truthful image, do you have a guess? It's right here. The honest word of God. 
2 Timothy 3.16, a familiar verse. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God's Word teaches us what is right and what is wrong. It corrects our thoughts when it goes wayward, when it goes astray. God's Word has a way of bringing us back into focus. It guides us through challenging circumstances. It trains us to have righteousness before God. His word transcends culture. It transcends time. His principles are timeless. And it's relevant no matter what culture or world, part of the world you grew up in. In Hebrews 4, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to judge the, intent, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God's word has a powerful way of penetrating deep inside us. It has a way of being able to judge our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. We look in the mirror, we think we know all our thoughts and all our intentions. We really have no clue sometimes. And God has a way of speaking us through his word. It really discerns our thoughts and intentions. In his words, you will discover honesty. And sometimes, many times, that honesty can be a little painful. Because sometimes the truth is a bit painful to us. But sometimes that painful truth is what we need. That's what we need sometimes. We don't need people who are just going to gas us all the time. You know what that means? I know most of you know what that means, but some of you may not know what that term means. When you have people who just gas you, all they want to do is just boost your ego, right? Just to make you feel good or make you feel positive about yourself. And when in reality, maybe you're not so good. You're not feeling so good. You're not doing what you ought to be doing. But God's word will speak powerful truth. You will find encouragement and hope in his word. You'll find grace and forgiveness in his word. It goes on, and since then we have a great high priest and has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. So let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. That's such an important verse. That we have a high priest, we have a Jesus who understands your weaknesses, your temptations, and overcame them in righteousness. See, the world hates this. The world hates the Bible because it speaks of what is right and what is wrong. It speaks of sin. It tells them what you may be doing or what you may be desiring is wrong. And people hate that. Because as I mentioned, we live in a very hedonistic society where it's whatever you pleasure, you seek out. But what did I say about the dangers of hedonism? 
right? Not all pleasure is good. Not all desires are good. And not all pain is bad. And I'll add to that a fourth thing. Not all feelings are true. Can anyone disagree with that? Not all pleasure is good. Not all desires are good. And our feelings aren't always true. So what helps us determine what is good, what is true, what is right? We have to hold up the word of God. I'll start ending with this. Which mirror are you looking to, to tell you about you? To give you an honest picture of who you are. Because the message of the Bible tells you this, you are created in the image of God. You are intended to bear the likeness of God. You are distinctly created in His image above all other creation. God distinctly made man and woman. And He loved His creation. Even after rebellion, even after rejection, He loved His creation so much that He made a way for restoration. Because you are worth being loved. You're worth being loved, not because of what you did, not because of what you earned, but because God loves. And He loves you. If we can understand that the enemy seeks to destroy us, it gives us a better chance to see that our negative thoughts are destructive. If we can understand the enemy seeks to destroy our understanding what it means to be the image of create an image of God, it gives us a better chance to see that our negative thoughts are destructive. The enemy holds up the broken mirror for us until we are readily hold we readily hold it up ourselves. The enemy will hold up a broken mirror for you as long as it takes until you are willing to hold up that broken mirror yourself and you're going to say, this is what I am. This is what I look like. This is, this is me. Our insecurities become what we know and we cling to them like a security blanket and we become our worst enemy. Let me end with this, these thoughts. I know it's a little long. It's a little tough topic to go through. But I want to end with these three words of advice and we're going to pick it up next week. This is what I want you to think about. One, hold on to God's word as the mirror of truth. Let this be your mirror of truth. Not even the mirror. Okay, well, I'm not saying not to look in the mirror at all, okay? You might need to look in the mirror to see how your hair is doing and stuff like that. But when it comes to your understanding of who you are, let this be your mirror of truth. Second thing, seek out godly influence to help you with His Word. 
Seek out godly influence who can help you understand his word so you can help, help you understand yourself, understand God, understand life. And third, this is important, surround yourself with edifying influences who will help speak truth with grace. Surround yourself with edifying influences who know God's word, who can speak truth with you in grace. Because we need people in our lives to be able to tell us the painful truth sometimes. We need people like that who know the word of God, who can say, you know what? Let me give you some godly and biblical advice. What you're seeing, what you're saying about yourself is not true. What you're seeing and saying about yourself is a lie. We need people like that in our life. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, Lord, um, we live in a broken world, Lord Jesus, full of broken people, seeing themselves in broken mirrors, being lied to, many who are hurt, whether by themselves or from others. And there's so many people searching They're chasing. And we become to be about the business of comparing ourselves with others. But Lord God, you didn't create us to be in the likeness of other people. You created us to be in the likeness of of our Creator, of our Savior. Lord, I pray this week there's people here who've been looking at broken mirrors and distorted mirrors all their lives. That, Lord, you would help them discard those mirrors. and to hold up the mirror of truth, your word. And Lord, may you speak truth to their lives every time they look into a mirror. Your spirit of truth, your spirit of mercy and grace and forgiveness and love. In Jesus' name, amen.